Hola, hello, whatever. It's Psychotronicast. I'm Alec Berg, and the talent is Derek Estes. You can and should subscribe to us on any podcast platform that we're available on. And follow us on Instagram, the only social media platform that we even touch, it seems, these days. And we have a Patreon, so check that out. For $5 a month, you can get an extra podcast every time that we post a free podcast. And we've already got, like, I don't know, like 15 or so in the bag. And it it's all over the place, I'll just put it that way. Um, let's get back to that yuppie nightmare that... Uh, Derek so geniusly programmed for us. So without further ado, Derek, what the hell are you getting us into? All right. So doing uh, one of my favorite Martin Scorsese movies, uh, After Hours. Uh, this movie, yeah, it, it perfectly, um, yeah, like fills out this whole, like, this whole theme. Uh, and I think it also, it, it has some nice, uh, like, rhyming, almost like callbacks to the, the other two movies, even though... I think this movie came out before, um, definitely before something wild, but, um, yeah, like right around the same time as desperately seeking Susan. Um, and it's just like one of the great, uh, just anxiety movies. It's just watching somebody go through a really terrible experience and things just keep getting more and more insane until it just becomes absurd. Uh, and yeah, it just has a lot of, a lot of great things that, yeah, I'll talk about more as we go. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you showed me this. I'm usually not one that can take, I, I can handle tension. All right. But when something's like uncomfortable and one of those dudes that hides his face in his hands, and that's <laughs> kind of what I did a lot. The first time that I saw this movie, I think this is the third time that I've seen this now. And maybe I'm just in such a crazy place in my life. that I'm just like, fucking bring it. But like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just Watching this movie tonight, I'm just like, hell yeah. I don't know. It's But it's a Martin Scorsese movie, so you got to think of that. Because like, I think he's the most, at least in my opinion, uh, the most rewatchable film director ever. Like, I feel like I've seen his movies more than I've seen anybody else's. But also, like, there's like 10 of his films that you're like, I can watch this for the rest of my life. Like, I don't yeah. know how many more times I'll see Casino, Goodfellas, Now After Hours, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, even stuff like The Departed. Like, they're just like, put it on and let's go. He's just so good yeah. at that. And this movie, it just keeps on getting better and better. And the, the more that I learn about film, and uh, especially you introducing this yuppie nightmare series after watching Desperately Seeking Susan, something wild, and now you're seeing like all these regurgitated actors in this film and they're all playing like completely different roles than they were in the film films previously talked about in this series. It's wild. Even like somebody like the bartender who I thought originally was Paul Reiser, but it's just like a, a knockoff Paul Reiser looking dude that was in Chud, but he was also in a bunch of stuff. And, uh, Oh, John Hurd, John Hurd. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's so great. Like he, it's really sad that his career wasn't, um, bigger because, uh, have you ever seen Cutter's way? No. That movie is really excellent. It's like it you can see that he is really one of the best actors of his generation. But um for whatever reason his career never really took off. And so uh yeah, he's kind of gets like plugged into things here and there. Uh like he's most people I think know him as the dad from Home Alone. That's um, it. That's where he that's it. Okay. Yeah. All but uh right. definitely check out Cutter's Way. It's really excellent. It's um um I can't, my brain is not working right now. Um, uh, it's Jeff Bridges. It's Jeff Bridges and then John Hurd. Wow. And, I can't uh, believe I haven't seen this. Yeah, Jeff it's great. Bridges. They actually played at the Hollywood 
for a grindhouse, which is not a grindhouse movie at all, but like uh, like a year or two ago. But it's a really good. It's it's actually early '80s, but it is more like a '70s crime film. Um, what? And this he's is like. like Oh. Yeah, just dynamite. I can't wait. That's like yeah. all everything is up my alley, especially the seventies crime and Jeff Bridges. Hell yeah. I'm all in. Cut yeah. his way. It's it's really good. Um but yeah, John Hurt is dynamite. This cast in this movie is like it's crazy. Even the opening, like has the credits, you know, just after hours, you know, Martin Scorsese film, and then just like boom, boom, boom. You know, in alphabetical order. Yeah, you're just like Rosanna Arquette, Verna Bloom, you know, John Hurd. You know, Dick Miller, it's yeah. just like goes on and on. And you just, you know, these people from all over. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, Kathleen O'Hara, Terry Garr, um, Dude, Rosanna yeah, Linda Arquette. Fiorentino, like, yeah. yeah. It's Chin Chong. Chin Chong, uh, uh, Bronson Pinchot, or whatever his name was. Yeah. He's uh, the guy at the very beginning that wants to start the magazine, and is just like, you know, I want to make him. I want to my mag, and it's like so lame that even he the the, uh, what's his name? I can't yeah, think uh, of his name. Paul. Yeah, Paul's just like he's, he's like fuck this, and he just gets up and like spacing out like crazy. Um, yeah, I love that. I love just you know that it's that perfect like opening. You know, he's opening at work, and this is really great. Um, like swooping camera shot, and this is another thing that's gonna a huge ingredient in this movie and the style is this is the first time that Martin Scorsese worked with Michael Ballhaus and as the cinematographer. And he had been, um, Fassbender cinematographer and he, they did like 16 films together in eight years. Um, and that was like only a piece of the <laughs> movies that Fassbender was doing at that period. But from those movies, um, he, a learned to work really fast um, and just be able to push things out like crazy, but also be really stylish. And he was really into camera movement. So throughout this movie, um, and in, I was listening to the commentary a little bit on this and, uh, you know, Ballhaus was like, we can get like 16 setups done a night, which is a lot, especially for like Scorsese, uh, who generally would work a lot slower, um, and just, you know, plan things out a lot more. It was just like, just just get it and go and it, everything's really dynamic and that really pushes the momentum of this movie. But it even opens with this really great shot of just like this, you know, crazy. It's not even like a dolly. I don't know what they really did. Cause it kind of swoops around. It's almost like they were in like a wheelchair and just like whipped it around. Um, and that comes back around the, the final shot of the movie as well. But yeah, I'm not uh, entirely certain when like the, the steady cam was invented or perfected or used in, well, I guess it was used a long time ago, the original steady cam, but but yeah, it's like almost if someone is like fucking bolting across the office or something. Yeah, it's like this. on some sort of dolly system. It's really cool. But you see like the world that Paul inhabits. And even more so, I mean, I guess you get a little bit of that in uh, something wild, especially at the end when, um, you know, Jeff Daniels goes and he's in the office and you kind of, you know, get a little glimpse of that. But I think that just, you know, seeing him in just the dreary, just boring office environment is great and then you also see him back at home you know because also like the guy he's training is like oh i mean i'm better than this and i'm gonna yeah. do something more exciting you know and it's like okay fuck you probably not <laughs> yeah this, um, this reminds me a little bit of um like and not as i don't know uh artistic or glamorous a shot as like jack lemon in the apartment when it's showing his company because he's just like a, a face in the crowd like one in a million working in this giant building and yeah. They have to, they, their lunches start at different times because the elevators can't fill up like all at the same time <laughs> like that. And it's just like, you know, he's 
just a drop in a in a ocean. But with this, it's more like you're all up in like you're in his cubicle and you're feeling it, and just everything is just off color and like blah and nobody. Lots of beige, yeah, and everything beige, like blah. And that's cool with this movie. Like uh, his wardrobe, like everything Paul wears in the beginning of this movie is the same color as every room he's in. Like, the office, everything is, like, beige. Uh, even the very, that really cool shot where he's ex- he's leaving and they're, you know, closing the gates for the night, mm-hmm. and he's the same color as the building and the gate, and then he gets to his apartment, and everything's beige. You know, he has, like, one David Hockney print on as well, um, but everything else is, the apartment is completely the same color of all of his clothes. Yeah. It's just no. Like, yeah, and I, I, I kind of dig, it's weird, like his couches are kind of mm-hmm. cool where they have, it's like a two by four that's holding up his armrests on his... It's like first generation Ikea. <laughs> exactly. You're like, oh, that's where, okay, sure. <laughs> I know, I mean, it's kind of a cool, I mean, like, it's like I could take that backbone and I could, you know, dress it up a little bit. But yeah, yeah it is like, it perfectly tells you who he is. But apartment, his does. apartment's not cool. Like, it's not like, oh, wow, look at that. It's just like, oh. No. Okay, there it is. Yeah. But then he goes to a diner, and um, this that's a theme in this movie, just, you know, they keep circling back to the same diner, obviously, as the film goes on. But mm-hmm. um, just that diner lifestyle, I miss that. Like, those nights that we go to Roxy's late night, and oh, just yeah. get a pot of coffee at four in the morning and eat something disgusting and just... There's something that lifestyle or the life that's in the building, whether it's packed to the gills or there's only like a handful of schlubs in there, like you just, there's something about it. <laughs> well, yeah. it's great too. In this scene, because you have, uh, this is when he first meets Roseanne Arquette, Marcy. This kind of sets the whole story going. Um, but you even like, yeah, you know, she's pointing out the, the guy, like the guy who's working the counter, and he's just like, you know, like a ballet dancer, and he's kind of, like, rehearsing, you know, while he's standing at the counter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also points out, because he's sitting there, and he's reading Tropic of Cancer, uh, which is, I think, really appropriate for him, because it's, you know, this kind of notoriously uh, erotic book, and it was, you know, it was banned forever, and all these issues. But I, I love that even in his life, like, he's not somebody who's necessarily going out and, like, getting laid, but he's the guy who's going out to a restaurant to read about other people having sex, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then, like, you know, he ends up meeting meeting her, which is also, I think, too, you think about, like, I think about, like, a dot-com or, like, a, you know, tech bro. Like, yeah, if I saw one of those guys, like, you know, out reading a book, they'd seem way more interesting than just what they're normally doing. So I guess it's also... The, <laughs> The times have changed. Well, we, um, we we have a mutual friend that likes to go out to bars alone with books and just read at the bar top, and I'm sure that's totally a ploy for him to be like, all right, someone's going to talk to me eventually about this. I know. He should just start reading Tropic of Cancer. I know. Maybe he has. <laughs> I'm going to buy him a copy of it. He should. Um, um, yeah. But she's great, too, because at this point in the movie, um, totally differently than like in Something Wild, where Melanie Griffith, you know, like she's all costume. It's like you just, it's like from the wig to the jewelry to the whole outfit. It's like you just see her personality. And in this, uh, Roseanne Arquette, um, or even more than Roseanne Arquette in Desperately Seeking Susan, like she's all wearing white. She looks very, um, like she could be a suburban woman. She could be a, a woman who works for the office, you know, next to him. And then it's as they kind of start talking and she's like, oh, she's heading up to Soho to go stay with her friends and, She's this artist who makes uh, plaster Paris bagel and cream cheese. Um, Hilarious. 
You know, it's just like this whole thing where they just kind of like have a little flirtation. And he like is trying to write her phone number down in the book. The pen doesn't work. And, um, you know, I don't know. I just I think all of that this is so great. And then, um, you know, he goes back to his apartment and he decides to call and he ends up getting uh, yeah, Kiki Bridges. Who's the artist? And then uh, she's like, "Oh yeah, you hear from Marcy?" He's like, "Oh, he didn't even know her name." Mm-hmm. She's like, "Oh yeah, I guess I, I don't know, you know." And then he's talking to her, and she's already being kind of crazy. And she's like, "Oh, um, I'm really glad you called. Like, do you want to come down and whatever?" Gives me the address and and everything. It's like there's so many warning signs too. Like it's like, "Oh yeah, like you know, come see Kiki Bridges." But you know, the bridges is going to be crossed off, and it's going to say Franklin. You know, on the the buzzer, and he's like, "What?" Yeah. You know, and he ends up getting in the cab. <laughs> yep. And I love that whole scene. Dude, the, like the cab flying around, like, oh man, I just—it's like being in a cab in Tijuana, mm-hmm. which I have, and it is just like that. <laughs> yeah, the, I've been in those in San Francisco too. I was yeah with some friends, and we were going up there, staying at the Fairmount, and it was this like crazy gypsy cab was just like hauling ass up the hill and it was like oh we're all gonna die now mm. this is great so he goes to but we didn't he goes to soho and i just want i forgot to ask in the last podcast soho is that short for something like noho is north hollywood yeah it's uh soho it's uh south of houston oh. so it's kind of like um i think the boundaries of soho are well houston obviously at the north end of it um and above that is kind of like the east village and Grange village and then um, I think Canal Street is the south, and that's kind of like right down by like Little Italy and like Chinatown, um, and they kind of in between. And it's funny because in this period, um, Soho was it was kind of desolate. I mean, Scorsese's even said that like you know that time he could go around and there was nothing there, and there would be just artists living in lofts, or you know it was kind of this uh, dead zone in, in Manhattan. And now you go there, and it's like all trendy shops or cool restaurants, or it's like, you know, it's, it's a really hot spot to go. And you wouldn't imagine, like, that's where, like, yeah, I don't know. We're going to do all your shopping. You know, you'd go to Soho and you, you know, go to Uniqlo or whatever and huh. do all this shit. All right. Well, good to know. Yeah. Now I know Soho is uh, not just called Soho. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You were on a taxi, and I know that maybe you can elaborate a little bit, but I remember listening to an interview with Martin Scorsese about uh, Kiki dropping the keys to Paul is like he's accepting his fate or he's like going into the new world when she tosses the keys down from the apartment after he buzzes to um, get himself in. I like how he doesn't catch the keys first of all. He lets him drop on the, the ground like a total bitch. And then, uh, and then picks well, him up and goes Well, it's funny because that was a, one of the shooting of that scene because they wanted to do that. They actually originally dropped the camera on bungees uh, at uh, Griffin Dunn. And uh, they're like, oh, this will be a really you know, dynamic scene. And then uh, it like almost hit him. And so when you see like that shot, this is really quick. You barely see it at all. Um, but it was like it literally almost hit him. So he's like just getting out of the way so he doesn't get killed by this camera. Jesus. Um, and then they were like, "We're yes, Scorsese was apparently really freaked out, and he was like, uh, we're not doing a second shot. <laughs> Take <By> of that.'" <laughs> and then later in the movie, when they toss the keys down, they just don't even move the camera. By freaked out, do you mean coked out? And was was Scorsese yeah. coked out still, or was he sober by then? I think he was pretty sober by this point. Okay, but I mean, it's still the eighties, so who knows? But definitely by the late seventies, he was, yeah, he was all over that. 
unlike a movie that I recently watched, uh, The American Friend, which is a Patreon. If uh, you're listening to this now, it's already available on Patreon, so come on down. Um, everyone's on cocaine in that movie. I just want to say that. <laughs> uh, Bill Hader points that out on the Criterion channel, and I couldn't agree more. But uh, yeah. yeah, he like gets led into the apartment, and he goes up to meet Kiki. Or, I mean, he goes up to meet um, Roseanne Arquette, but you know, Kiki's doing her little paper mache deal. And that loft, I just love lofts in this series. Uh, oh, yeah. The Yuppie Nightmare series. Yeah, is, I would take right. anybody's loft in any of these movies. And I feel like there's a loft in every one of these movies. And there's, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. It's, uh, uh. Well, I love her, too. I mean, she's, like, Linda Fiorentino, like, she's another one of those people who, like, for whatever reason, her career never really, like, got really huge. She was, she was also in The, the Last, Last Seduction. With yeah, her. perfect. I was about to say that, Last Seduction. <laughs> yeah, like, that movie is great. But it's, like... And you see her in this, too, and you're like, yeah, she's awesome. Like, I don't know. They just weren't making enough roles for her. Mm-hmm. Isn't she women. in uh, Being John Malkovich also? Um, I don't know. I'd have to look. I can't remember her in that movie, but she oh. could have been in there. Uh, never mind. I'm thinking. Is she's not uh, the. No, she's, uh, she's not her. Catherine Keener? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Catherine Keener. No, no, no. Um, sorry. I'm, I'm getting all kinds of. It's 1.43 in the morning, people. Um, I know. Sorry. Let's. <laughs> I'll, I won't derail this much more. Uh, yeah, so she's there, and I love when Kiki gets the call on the phone, and like she's talking to Roseanne Arquette, or you think she is, and then he's like, oh, I can't speak any softer, or whatever. And you can tell it's like <laughs> her trying to tell her to like shake his ass, and like just like... Well, she's just like, yeah, like I just... Yeah, because she's got... Yeah, it, it's all crazy, but I love how he's also helping her like do it. And he's like, oh, I don't know, and he gets his shirt all like fucked up and so she's like oh no just like wash it like whatever and that's when he also like he changes his shirt yeah from like the white shirt to the black striped shirt mm-hmm. and that's also like one of those things where it's like okay like now you're in it like you're changing your identity yep similarly to the ways that like both Roseanne Arquette like she had to change her wardrobe when she made her transition into this this underground world and the way that like Jeff Daniels had to do it in um something wild there's like this this rite of passage. In this movie, too, there are those uh, elements of, like, you know, Greek mythology. It's like passing the River Styx. So, you know, like, you know, there's always these situations where he's, um, you know, trying to cross something. Like, later on when uh, he's at the Club Berlin, and there's this, you know, he has interaction with the bouncer, and there's, like, a quote straight out of uh, Kafka where he's just, like, trying to bribe the guy. And it's, like, from uh, Kafka's The Trial when the guy's trying to get uh, to see the law and the guy's like, you know, won't let him pass, but he takes the good bribe money anyhow. And he's like, I'll take your money anyhow, just so you don't feel like you did nothing to. to get oh yeah. It. Like you didn't, so you can tell yourself that you, you didn't try everything or you didn't. Yeah. 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 That was, that so was, there's great. a lot of those little elements in this, which I think are just, it's great. Cause they're, they're in here, but it's not like totally underlined or showy. Mm-mm. No, not at all. There's a handful of fantastic uh, quotes that we'll get to because I, I kind of wrote down some of them as the as we talk more about the plot and the film progresses. But um, here's something I also, about the part two, like when she's when he's giving her the back rub, because she's like, "Oh, you seem sore," and <laughs> she's just like, "Just make it hurt, and you're on the right path." Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like, "Well, you're you're very beautiful," and then instead of going like, "Oh, thank you," or whatever, she's like, "Yes." <laughs> And then not many scars, not many scars. Some girls I know scars head to toe. And he's like, what? And then, well, and that's, oh yeah. Are you going to talk about him telling the story? Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, he's just like what? He goes like one time he got his tonsils taken out when he was a kid and they didn't have enough room and like whatever like the the pediatrics. So like he they wheeled him off into the burn ward, but he had to put a blindfold on so he couldn't see. So and then the, the nurses told him not to take off the blindfold ever and it's like I know what you're thinking like blindfold like I'm a kid like what does that have to do with my tonsils? And uh it's just like such a fucking crazy story. But by the well, time I love he's that, it does also feel like like that story does sound like it has the logic of like ancient mythology or, you know, something like somebody has to do something. And so there's some sort of outrageous thing they need to do, or they need to, um, you know, like, like, uh, Orpheus, like, you know, you can never look back, you know, and, and look at her and he does and she dies or, you know, like in the, yeah, I don't know. I love that. But I also love the fact that he's telling the story and you, she's falling asleep to it. Uh, which is on one hand really hilarious, but then um, you know he he never finishes the story. No, <laughs> so it, we never know. Like the dumb, the dumb version of that is like, uh, which they beat over the head so much, and it becomes like funny in and of itself. And I think that's the part of it. But is when, uh, like. Bradley Cooper wants Louis C.K. to tell him about like whatever bullshit it is in American Hustle, and he keeps interrupting him because oh I know the end of the story, and then he'll like tell it, and he's like that's not what happened, and then it's the end of the scene, and then throughout the movie they call back the same story, and then you never hear the end of it because Bradley Cooper just keeps fucking interrupting him, and you're like they do it like six times, it's overkill, but if anybody <laughs> watches a David O. Russell film, that's kind of his thing. <laughs> yeah, he likes to do that, um, but I also love because then it does tie into his weird paranoia with Marcy because you know there's like the whole thing with her and then he can't quite figure out what's weird about her like there's something kind of off and she's you know really kind of seems unstable which she is obviously um but then at one point like he's he looks through her bag and then he sees the burn cream you know <laughs> yeah. and he's just like oh uh and he's just like paranoid he thinks he sees scratches and you know, and he's just like, oh, fuck. And you see that, yeah, it's that book of the burn injuries he's looking at. And he's just so horrified. And you want to know, like, what did he see and what's going on? Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, they go and they have their little uh, cup of coffee at the diner. Uh, and motherfucking Dick Miller has to stick his oh, head I in this movie. It. And it's like, he's so good. Nobody's like him where he'll, like, come in. He's maybe in a movie for 90 seconds. And he just crushes it like the fact exactly. that he does that little line where it's just like all right we're gonna get out of here how much do we owe you ah this one's on me it's like ah it's after hours there's no rules exactly and like, he does his little thing and then and he catches her kiss he, and she blows the kiss yes and it's like fuck yeah dick miller <laughs> it's so cool i was I like love that. going crazy about it and i was like i was watching this movie with my wife tonight and i was trying to explain i was like oh that's dick miller like he's a guy who gets shot in the terminator you've seen that and it's like he was the like old man in the tractor and gremlins and he's the whatever. And she's like, I don't, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> totally. I did ask her at the end of the movie. I was like, okay, now you've seen the three yuppie movies that we've covered. Like, is this your favorite one? And she's kind of like you where she doesn't have favorites or whatever. Where it's like, Oh, this is first place, second place, third place. But she was like, I really like this movie. So oh, that's good. That's surprising. A lot of, um, yeah, I, I feel like my friends' spouses are like significant others tend to not like this movie. So I'm like, this might be the one she doesn't like. No, so she, she liked it. She actually, it, it's not like a, you know, knee slapping laugh movie, but no. there at least once every five minutes she'd be like, ha, 
Like, you know, like, <laughs> she's, I think she got a kick out of like, yeah, fucking sucks, right? Like, you're just like, <laughs> I think maybe she just, you know. Well, I also love the scene, too, like, in that whole thing is because he's finally, he keeps asking who Franklin is. Yeah. You know, he's like, uh, so who's Franklin? Like, there's no, like, what's going on here? And then she tells that crazy story about her husband, who's like, um, yeah, when she married him, is her version, and he was obsessed with the Wizard of Oz. And then when he would come, he just had to go keep going, surrender Dorothy, surrender Dorothy, surrender Dorothy. You're like, yes. <laughs> That's All just right. a crazy throwaway insanity, and I love it. This is a, I mean, let's, I'm going to try and not make this so fucking creepy and like derail this so much. But <laughs> once upon a time, I was in jail. And once upon a time, I was in solitary confinement. Once upon a time, somebody visited me. And, uh, you you know, it's just like how it is in, like, the movies where there's the plexiglass and then there's the telephones and you pick them up and you talk to each other, whatever. It's not soundproof, though. It's not like you hang up the phone and then like, you, you can't, can't hear, hear each other. It doesn't work like that. But you can still hear each other a little bit. It's muffled. But anyway... I'm sitting there, and uh, I'm waiting for my guests to come and see me, and then you're kind of like in, you know, it's it's kind of like partitioned, but you can see into the next corridor to like who's yeah. waiting for whatever. So like there's a prisoner next to me, and he looks like a normal guy, like a hippie, whatever. I'll cut to the chase. Anyway, his mom came to visit, and she was like visibly upset. Obviously, he's in jail. And then, um, you know, she, you could tell they're affluent. Like, I could tell they were from Pasadena. I knew that much. She had money, blah, blah, blah. She cried. She left the end. And then he was just sitting and still waiting for himself to get checked out. And then he was saying to me that we're just talking shop. What are you in here for? Blah, 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 blah. And he's just like, well, you know, my lawyer's trying to get me to plead insanity because it would be the best. And I'm like, huh? And he's just like, well, yeah, I... It's just, you know, I'm, I'm up here for murder, like whatever. And then he was just like, yeah, but, you know, she deserved it. She deserved it. She deserved it. She deserved it. And he kept saying it over and over again. Oh, my God. And it's like something that's burned in my brain for the rest of my life. Like, you haven't seen crazy until you look at a guy, surfer guy, surfer dude, looked like could have been your, my buddy, whatever. And it was just like crazy. But when she started doing that, like Dorothy thing, and then he, she kept yeah. saying it over and over again. I'm like, that's fucking crazy. I know crazy when I see it. And it's just like, whoever sold her to do that. I mean, I mean, I'm just relating that to my own life now. I, I guess everybody does that with movies, but that is a point that all three times that I've seen this where I'm just like, dude, go like, just. I'm pretty sure that was even like an ad lib from her. I think they, in I think it's one of the interviews I was reading where I think Michael Bajas was saying like oh yeah like he was just like this ad whatever and then she embellished that somehow and I'm pretty sure that would have been it um, but yeah it's great it's so great <laughs> it's so wild and it's so crazy but um, so people that repeat things man ever since then when people repeat stuff too much it fucking freaks me out and uh, yeah. But oh, at, I totally get it. At, at the same time, the Rosanna Arquette thing. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, when, so, so they go back to her place or whatever. And then so Renee, my wife, is just going like, what is he doing? Just like, get out of there. She's fucking nuts. And I'm like, <laughs> and it's funny because that's what he eventually does. But mm -hmm. to me, I'm like, here's the thing. It's Rosanna Arquette. And also, I remember the, you know. Back in my early 20s, if anybody that was as beautiful as Rosanna Arquette, doesn't matter how crazy they were, I would still like swim through. I'd be like, whatever, I'll just buy, I'll just duck and I'll just matrix through this fucking line of crazy and then just be like, hey, and then be like, all right, cool, like whatever. 
And um, <laughs> it's like that Valerie Salons quote, like where she said, uh, you know, in her life scum manifesto before she shot Andy Warhol, she uh, had that line that uh, a man would swim like, is it like mouth deep through a river of snot? If she thought that there's a friendly pussy on the other side. <laughs> Yeah, probably. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Not, I mean, it's pretty extreme, but I'm like, but I mean, I think everyone's been in like, you've stuck with a bad date a little longer than you needed to. Yeah. Well, our mutual friend had a Tinder date recently and said that like he, he this girl was just like, come on over right now. And then she came he came over to her house and her roommate answer was like, what do you want? Like, kind of like this movie. It's crazy. And it's just like, mm -hmm. what do you want? And he's like, well, I'm here for whatever. It's like, she's passed out in the bedroom. And he's like, oh, it's cool. I'll just go home. Like, no, no, no. Come in. She, it's fine. Just wake her up. He's like, oh, okay. what? Uh, yeah, this is true. And so, like, he goes in the bedroom and she's, like, sleeping, but there's just, like, bottles of wine everywhere. Like, she's a wino, like, <laughs> a crazy wino. And, like, she just lives in squalor. And then she wakes up and is just like, Hey, what's up? Like, oh, it's fine. I don't know. You want a drink or something? He's like, I'm good. I'm just going to get out of here. And uh, she's like, no, 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 stay. He's like, it's fine. He's like, just stay for a drink. Can you stay for a drink? He's like, okay, fine. And then she gets up, and I guess she knocks a bunch of shit over and breaks all this shit in her room. And he's just like, that's cool. I'm just going to go. It's like, no, 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 no. We're going to drink. And then so he just drinks wine with her. And then she's like, let's have sex. And then they have sex, and then he ran away. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and they're getting married. And they're getting married this fall. <laughs> I, so love, save I love, love the dates so to Tinder. Oh uh, my god! Yeah. Oh, so anyhow, so they yeah <laughs> smoke some weed or whatever. He freaks out, um, and he's like, "Okay, fuck it, I'm just gonna go home." And then um, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is it's like it's pouring down rain. He gets into the subway, and he's trying to buy a ticket, and the fare operator or whatever guy behind the fucking ticket ticket uh it's like oh yeah no the fare went up it's not like 75 cents anymore it's like a buck 50 and he's like i only have like 97 cents like whatever and he's just like can you just whatever like let me and the guy uh he's he won't let him do it and he's like you know, who's gonna know you know if you let me go through and he's like i don't know I could go to a party, have some drinks, tell somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite excuses for yeah. things. I don't know. But he tries to jump the thing. The cop sees him. He ends up, like, leaving, but he goes to this bar. And then the bar, it's great because in for the movie, they call it the Terminal Bar, which is an homage to what was a really famous bar in a different part of Manhattan over um, uh, by, I think, like Grand, Grand Central Station over by, like, 42nd Street. Um, called the Terminal Bar, but the terminal, the original Terminal Bar is actually in Taxi Driver. Um, and it was just kind of like one of those notorious spots. It was later kind of like a, a gay bar around the end. Um, but it was one of those legendary spots. And it's great that as an homage, they named this bar the Terminal Bar, even though it's in Soho. That's awesome. Um, and then he ends up going in and, uh, yeah, and he ends up meeting uh, Terry Gar. This is the thing I love about this movie, too, is um, there's a lot of weird things in this movie. One is the way time works in this movie and the way people move in this movie. Like, as if, like, if you leave a room, if you go back out to the other room, the person that was previously in there has already left a note and they're gone. Or it's almost like time works in weird ways and it constantly through this movie. Like, it's, it's almost like it doesn't work the way normal time works. 
um, which I, I love that about this movie. But I also love that in this movie, in Soho at the Terminal Bar, um, there's no one in here, but they still keep, uh, as a service industry worker, they keep a cocktailer on, even though there's no one in there, and it's like 2.15 or it's like 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. Um, and I just, I love that that conceit. It's just really dynamite. And then he's just like hanging out there. He, he doesn't have money for anything. And, uh, you know, Terry Gar, the waitress, he leaves him like a little note, like, help, I hate this job, whatever. And then he like goes to the, the men's room and there's this scribble, like this little piece of graffiti on the wall. That reminds me also of the thing back in um, With Nail and I, which has the great like little like whatever, little graffiti that freaks out I. But in this movie, it's just this little cartoon that I almost want to tattoo of, oh, of like a stick figure guy with a shark eating his dick. <laughs> but the guy's just <laughs> taking it, too. It's not like he's screaming. He's just like, this is life. <laughs> I and know. It's I, so good. I love, 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 love Miss Beehive, 1965, Julie. Oh, yeah. It's She's so great. Yeah. She is into him. And then he comes out of the bathroom. She's sitting at his table where he was just sitting. And then he just pulls up at the bar. And I'm like, all right, man. Like, what's the big, what's the deal here? Like, do you want to get laid or not? Like, what's, like, oh, yeah. so, so she's kooky. So you're broke looking and you look homeless now because you've been walking around in the rain. And you've already got, like, a five o'clock shadow and it's been, like, two hours. Um, <laughs> apparently, Martin Scorsese told Griffin Dunn to reframe from sex and sleep as the movie progressed, as they yeah. filmed it, to give the bigger state of like paranoia. And it totally shows on his face. Like you can't makeup can't do that job that he's yeah. got. He looks like on yeah. He he looks like me most nights. <laughs> uh, also, so you know, he doesn't want to walk home because it's pouring rain so much. Somebody did the math, and from um, where he was trying to get away from to go back to his apartment, it's one hour and 47 minutes to walk there. Oh, yeah. So he's like, nah, I'll probably, you know, have pneumonia by the time I get home. Well, that's like for me, I'm like, I, 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 you know, I walk everywhere. So I'm like, ah, whatever. I mean, it's like five miles, but it's like, you can do it if you're having that bit of a time. But no. Nope. You're stuck. I know. Yeah. And then... You know, when they end up going back to her place, which her little, like, studio apartment thing is so great, too. How many bottles of hairspray she has on the shelf? Oh, that Aquanet? Yes. Yeah. Well, I totally sympathize because, like, I am kind of Miss Beehive. Like, everything in her place, she's, like, obsessed with the 60s. Oh, yeah. So she has, like, little, like, you know, her drawings of all these, like, Twiggy and Andy Warhol and the Beatles and Bob Dylan and, you know. Uh -huh. um, and she keeps putting on, like, the monkeys. Yeah, she's like, do you like the monkeys? Mitchell. She's like, do you like the monkeys? And he's like, what? And then just puts it on. <laughs> I'm like, whoever start, whoever, who's ever said that sentence past 1969? Nobody ever goes like, you know what? I'm gonna throw on a monkeys record right now. Well, but I do. I love the monkeys. Well, that's why fan. you are Miss Beehive 1965. The other thing I really love about her apartment, um, well, a couple things. I love all the mouse traps around her bed, spotlights <laughs> yeah. on them. Um, and then I also love, and I never thought of this before, but it looks like she, uh, for her curtains, she used yellow shower curtains. And I think that's a really cool idea that people should, it's a good life hack. Well, her raincoat uh, too is awesome, that see-through raincoat. Oh, yeah. It, Another thing that this scene, I think, 
works in the, uh, this ties into another weird uh, fact about this movie uh, is originally uh, Tim Burton was uh, was potentially going to be the director of this movie, but apparently he turned. It would have been his first movie because this was before Pee Wee's, uh, or maybe he was making Pee Wee's at the time. I, I think this was before, but. Uh, he stepped aside when he heard Scorsese was interested, but I'm like, this is one of those scenes that I, I could see Tim Burton really having fun with, mm-hmm. um, and really playing with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so great. Cause she's also so crazy. Like, you know, she's kind of like really into him and, you know, but then like, you know, he's kind of like little jabs and stuff, but she doesn't really like, she gets like, pissed off and freaked out at weird things or like she says like he says something like gee whiz or something she's like oh god like, why are you patronizing me or you know i know everyone makes fun of me or, i don't know it's so crazy but then the other thing with her so she's drawing his picture okay she's making a portrait and she also explains that she um she quit that job uh when he sees her by the second time around oh yeah i guess we've kind of jumped ahead a little bit so while they're still at the terminal bar these people knock and there's been all these break-ins in the neighborhood and John Hurd is freaking out. He's like, Oh, I'll give you money to like, you know, whatever. I'll give you the buck 50 to get your you know, subway ride home, whatever. But before that, you know, he's worried about his alarm back home and, uh, Griffin down, you know, trades keys. Like, Hey, I'll give you my keys. I'll go, I'll check your alarm. I'll, you know, whatever, get you the key for the register, whatever. Um, and then as he's out there, you know, he goes, he gets to the apartment and then, um, to John Hurd's apartment. And then he, you know, gets the key, everything's fine. And then he like flushes the toilet. Like he dries himself off and tries to wash the paper towel. And then the fucking toilet overflows. And then he doesn't know how to fucking stop that. Yeah. And that's hilarious. And then if he's coming down, like the gay neighbors downstairs are just like immediately, as soon as you see this guy, like, you don't live here. Are you robbing us? You know, <laughs> just like, they're so hostile. It's so crazy. He's like, uh, no, I know Tom, the bartender. Don't know his last name, whatever. He gave me the keys. Like, oh, okay, well, we just freaked out. And then as he's like leaving, he ends up seeing Cheech and Chong, like, you know, hauling in the statue, the sculpture that. Uh, that Kiki was building with it, he was making with her. And, uh, you know, he, he yells at him, like, hey, stop, you know, and then he gets like sidetracked. He ends up going back to Kiki's. And then she, uh, uh, you know, it's a total like repeat, like the beginning part uh, where he goes and she's like tossing the keys and she's like all tied up. And it's, <laughs> it's crazy. And you assume, like, oh, she was, you know, they tied her up and they robbed her. Um, keys and she goes up there. And he's like untying her and she's just like, Oh, you know, what are you talking about? Like that was Neil and Pepe. Like they bought my, they bought it. I um, love that line where it's like, just like, it was just like, what did, did you get robbed by sailors? Look at these knots. <laughs> I know. Totally. Like this, this is, you know, craftsmanship, whatever. And then we meet Horst who is her like Dom and they're like crazy kinky life. Um, and he's fucking great too. And he's just like, Oh, like what you did to Marcy, it's just like really bad. Yeah, that's like, the maybe bad. it's just the lack of discipline. Yeah. And that's the bad from <laughs> desperately seeking Susan. He doesn't have blonde hair in this one, but it's the guy. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh my God. That's so great. Yeah. I didn't even put that together, but yeah, I can totally see it. He looks so different. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the only time I've seen him with blonde hair. Cause he, he, he was a part of my life a lot in the 90s. He was in a lot of 90s shit that I watched when I was a kid. Uh, never had blonde hair that I can think of. 
besides Desperately Seeking Susan. So that's what threw me off when I first saw him in that movie. I'm like, is that the fucking guy? And then... Yep. That's so funny. Um, uh, yeah, I and I it. love when you know he goes back to um, the bar, and then he's just <laughs> talking about... Uh, you know, uh, Miss Beehive, nineteen sixty-five. He's like, "Oh, she wants me to go back there." It's like, "What? What is she going to do if you leave? Kill herself?" <laughs> and then, the... <laughs> well, and that's the thing is, every he just got got back because he just found Marcy, and then she's dead. She's killed herself, and then he looks, and there's like second all, but it's the prescription is Tom's. It says Tom, like whatever his last name is, mm-hmm. and then you don't realize the time that it's the bartender Tom. Um, yeah. And so he calls to say, like, oh, I'm reporting a dead body. And then he takes back off and he goes back to the bar. Yeah, and I love how he leaves those, like, dead body this way, like he's having a garage sale. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this movie it's is so just great. too good. And then when they're hanging out there, like, well, and then because Tom's like, well, you freaked me out because he had to close the bar. And that was when, you know, he had to go hang out with Terry Gar for the whole time because he couldn't get into the bar to get his keys. And then Tom's like, oh, you know, like, you just really had me freaked out, like, all these robberies, and I don't know you, and the neighbors said they were freaked out by you anyhow. And there's, like, this couple of, like, um, just, like, leather dudes just, like, making out just right behind him. Yeah, that was great. Like, straight out of cruising. <laughs> um, but then it's, like, then at that point, like, again, he's about to, you know, get the money, get his keys, and leave. And then the phone call comes in, and then it's like the police or somebody telling Tom that Marcy's been found dead, you know. And so then it's just like, it, you know, it, it's like you see, like, you know, Paul put everything together. He's like, oh fuck, you know, that's his girlfriend. So he can't tell Tom, like, oh uh, yeah, I was trying to bang your girlfriend tonight. That's why I'm down here. And now she killed herself. Uh, <laughs> and so it's just like. It's just a fucking nightmare. And then he, like, God. So then he, like, yeah, he leaves. God, this is so crazy. And then, uh, oh, but Terry Gar, yeah, she works at the Kinko's downstairs. That's the other thing, too. She's dressed the picture. She works at the Kinko's. She can also, like, make as many copies as she wants. And then he leaves. They get into a big fight because she tries to give him the Plaster of Paris cream cheese and bagel yeah. uh, that Kiki made. And then he, like, throws it away. Like, get that out of my face. And then she's like, he'll pay for this. So then she ends up going around, you know, realize, and, like, plastering his face all around town saying he's the, the burglar. Oh. But then while he's, like, trying to get back to town, he, well, he goes back. He first tries to go find um, Kiki and Horst uh, at Club Berlin. And that's when he's just trying to get in. And the guy won't let him get in. He's like, it's Mohawk night. And, and then he makes his way in. And it's, like, it's just, like the most awesome like insane punk bar ever yeah um so insane that martin scorsese is working the lights up on the top and he's dressed in like a colonel's outfit for whatever reason (laughs) totally some leftover sergeant pepper yeah um yeah it's so great they try to give him a mohawk and he's just like freaking out he's just like running out it's just totally it's like the perfect like just the square going to the cool spot. Yeah. Just like, I don't know. They're going to give me a mohawk. Which, you know, <laughs> we saw that in Desperately Seeking Susan. And uh, it's a good it's a good little trope. Um, yeah. Uh, then yeah. After that, with like, you know, he meets Catherine O'Hare after he tries to yeah. hail that cab. Yeah. And 
Well, act- he gets the cab back, but he, he ripped that money off of the statue, and he finally is going to give it back to the cab driver because he lost the 20 to begin with, and then the cab driver just takes the money and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, Catherine and just- O'Hare is so nuts because I've been watching um, Shit's Creek here and there, and uh-huh. uh, just seeing, like, young Catherine O'Hare again is so great, and she is just... Everything I've ever seen her in, I mean, she's all... She's been a part of like Christopher Guest's troops since day one, so it's just like on well, the SCTV, and, yeah. And so Beetlejuice, she, she's like kind of like the original Amy Poehler, yeah. Uh, and she is just completely knocks it out of the park in this movie, and yeah, takes her up to the place. And I've totally had that done to me. I think only by women ever. I, I can only think of <laughs> a couple times it's ever happened where it's like you want to get a number and you get a number. And then you're trying to remember it in your head, but as you're trying to dial it or like write it down or whatever, somebody's like barking other numbers at you. And you're like, <laughs> this is funny. Ha, ha, ha. I get it. But anyway, I really need to get this number right. And then they're just like, ba, 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 ba. And I'm like, Ari, what? I was like, I, that's happened in my life so many, not so many times, but enough where I've remembered. So when Catherine O'Hare is doing that, I'm like, I totally know what that feels like, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's funny. You see it. He looks genuinely pissed off, too. It's like you just feel it yeah you're like, like i'm just trying to entertain you yeah it's like what's the fucking big deal and then she's like trying to talk about her like her ice cream business or whatever that truck is and you're like mr frosty you're like what what <laughs> she's also obsessed with the colors yellow and black yeah she's like a little bee yeah and she also keeps a whistle around her neck i know at first i thought because i i didn't remember that that was a whistle i thought it was like africa and I'm like, oh, oh yeah. And I'm like, oh well, you know, like Melanie Griffith had that Jamaican stuff. Maybe like Africa is like really cool to like white chicks in New York City in the '80s. And then uh, <laughs> now it's a rape whistle or a whistle in general. Yeah. So disco whistle, disco whistle. Uh, man, disco's not dead in this movie. Just ask any of the gays no. in Soho. Uh, exactly. So yeah, it, it doesn't end well. They he splits and then. It just, you know, he goes back to the fucking diner. Well, because they're going to leave. She's like, okay, I'll just give you a ride. Like, whatever. She's trying to get the number. And then she's like, oh, look, I'll just give you a ride in my Mr. Frosty, you know, car. And he's like, okay, cool. And then as they're walking down there, she sees the flyer that Terry Garson putting around everywhere. And he doesn't know what's going on. And then suddenly she starts blowing her whistle. And she's like, it's the... <laughs> it's the killer. It's the, or not the killer. It's the burglar. It's the burglar. And then everyone is like a crazy angry mob like out of a frankenstein movie like they all appear yep and then uh they start like hunting him down and that is all just yeah all of that is dynamite my favorite part of the whole film and it's very brief and that's why it makes it so fucking good is like he's hiding on that fire escape and then he looks in like voyeuristically as like this woman is like shooting this man to death and then he just like keels over in his kitchen and then goes back to Paul and he's like, I'll probably get blamed for that. And then that's it. That's the only thing you know about that situation. He's like, you just so saw somebody great. get murdered. But he's like, Ooh, the he, other thing I forgot about that I also love too is like right in that scene is which he's so Kathleen O'Hara. And then he's like, she, she cut him, whatever, when she opened the cab door. But then he still has the uh, newsprint like on his shoulder. Oh, yeah. And then she's reading that story of that guy who gets bludgeoned, like his face bludgeoned like in a park in soho she's like oh my god how can that happen <laughs> it's just know. like fucking crazy uh <laughs> and then finally um he 
you know, he goes back to the diner a couple times, like wants to like use the bathroom and just like catch his breath and hide from the mob. <laughs> and then he pretends to order like a burger and a coffee. But then by the time he ends up back at the diner because he sees uh, fake ass Paul Reiser hanging out in there, he was just like, oh shit. He goes in and then the dude working behind the desk is or behind the desk, behind the counter, just like hands him his burger and coffee. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so great. It's like, Perfect that's timing. another thing with the, the time passing and this and that. It's just like, everything is. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And by the time he slips through the gate with that and, you know, uh, d- uh, ditches out well, of the Well, yeah, bill. then, like, he sees Tom, and then Tom is just like, oh, hey, man, like, you know, what's going on? Like, I'll help you. And then he goes outside, and then, um, and then, well, two things happen. First, this, like, punk rock girl just, like, randomly comes in and gives him a flyer uh, for this, like, special event happening at Club Berlin, which he was already at, like, not recently, you know, so there's a new event happening now at Club Berlin. And, uh, and then he sees that Tom goes outside, and then he ends up seeing... Uh, Gail, like Kathleen O'Hara's character, and then they're telling him the whole thing. She's like, oh, he's just right in there. So then he, like, escapes, and then he goes back to the Club Berlin, but no one's there now. Yeah, that's so except great. Except for Verna Bloom. And it's like, that's, um, I'd rather be at that party if you ask me. I love it. Well, and he's like, he asked the bartender, he's like, so where is everybody? He's like, oh, I don't know, they left. He's like, well, what about her? And he's just like, I can't remember what her name of this movie is. It's like June or... Yeah. He's like, oh, she's always here. No one ever notices her. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so he goes over the jukebox and he puts on Peggy Lee, if that's all there is, which I just, A, love that song. And there's also a really great scene involving that song in um, Beach Bum as well. Um, I love it. He's like, has it, and that song is so kind of fatal and just like resigned to these things that are going to happen and just, you know, living your life. And so, you know, he starts talking to her and, you know, kind of invites her to dance. He's like, you know, why are you, you know, no one ever pays attention to me. Like, why are you being nice? He's like, I just want to live. Mm-hmm. I just want to live. Um, it's crazy seeing it's Verna Bloom. I just haven't seen Verna Bloom in so long since, you know, the Eastwood and, um, yeah, the hired hand, the hired hand. And you're like, wow. Like it's just nuts seeing, Especially like in HD, like this is like a woman that never wore sunscreen. Oh yeah, it's crazy. But she just died this year. I was like, oh, I wonder how long until like she got skin cancer and like whatever happened. It's like, nope, she lived until this year. Yeah. So she was yeah, eighty. She died in January. Yeah, crazy. And yeah, she's so great. It's she's it's so like her filmography is bitching. Oh yeah, <laughs> she was just like great. I think everyone just wanted to you know, hang out with her and be, you know, she's like one of those people that she was just kind of friends with everybody. And, you know, it's like, yeah, like let's put Verna. I mean, I wish she was in more stuff. Mm-hmm. She, she's a great actress. She has great presence. Yeah. Um, and when then you... it's like the, the mob is coming for him at, at the Berlin and he's just like, Oh yeah, I can't get out of here. She's like, Oh, just come with me. And she lives downstairs. She lives in the basement of club Berlin. Of course she does. That alone tells you enough about this lady. Like that's awesome. And uh, and then he's like trying to escape, and he ends up covering himself almost like you can't do it on a television style with like you know plaster that's hanging from the ceiling. Um, it's all these sculptures, and this is great because this scene is also kind of a uh, callback. I mean, multiple things, just like House of Wax does this too, but um, definitely, especially because Dick Miller's in this movie is a Roger Corman's Bucket of Blood, where he makes the statues we really had the dead cat and the dead people inside um oh. and so it's kind of a cute little 
Roger Corman reference, having Berna, you know, paper mache him. And it also ties back into the paper mache statue that's kind of like Munch's like scream from earlier in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then all, everyone comes in and they just can't like find him and they're all being so obnoxious. Um, and then she's like, and then the end, like they all leave and he's like, oh, okay, thanks lady. Like, you know, you can get me out of this now. And she's like, oh no, they might come back. Like, you just don't know. Like, they're just going to keep you here for a while. Yeah. And he's just like, what? Like, and you can oh, see his sure. eyes. She even covers his mouth, which I love. Like, he's just talking. And it's just that little piece of paper over the mouth hole, and it's like you can't hear him anymore. It was great by <laughs> by the time that happened. When put the when you she yeah when you start figuring out like Verna Bloom is like oh shit what the fuck and then puts the thing over his mouth. My wife was like oh fuck. And it's just like it's nuts. Like it's my it's it's rare when my wife like buckles up for a ride and is like completely <laughs> in a movie where she's just like. What? What's gonna happen next? Kind of thing. Uh, she's like that with the show Barry right now. Uh, oh yeah. So she's just like, wow. But yeah, this is this was a movie that really got her like something wild, desperately seeking Susan. She's like, ah, that's cute. It's cute. It's fun. I'm glad we yeah. watched it. It's a fun. But this movie is like gripping by that point. <laughs> and then the fact that you know, uh, Cheats and Sean break into a basement apartment underneath. I like how they know where everyone lives. So just like, yeah, there's a, there's a place here we can break into. Um, and, you know, they steal the shit and, I don't know. Well, they're, like, such, like, thorough thieves. And then also, because no one's looking for them, they're just robbing everyone in broad daylight, or, you know, whatever, nightlight. Um, and no one notices them in their van. Like, he's run to them multiple times. And then, um, you know, the thing is, like, they're also looking, so busy looking for Paul, but, you know, of course they ignore them. And they've just been robbing, like, 16 places in one night. Yeah. And... That was the thing was how this film ends of uh, you know him getting thrown in the back of the van and then them doing just like speeding through New York City and he he gets out of the van and just the paper mache thing explodes as he falls onto the street and where is he he's like right in front of his job again and it's time to clock on and start getting back to work. Uh, yeah, that Martin's, ending is so dynamite. It's a, such a great ending and this like kind of notoriously ha- at least publicly uh scorsese is like i don't know how to end this movie and he asked all kinds it of was people michael powell oh it was michael it powell was, yeah so michael powell who is um like one of one of the great directors of all time but he uh was a great british director he did like the red shoes martin scorsese was really obsessed with them and then he later and he was an old man he was pretty elderly at this point uh he later married Thelma schoonmacher scorsese's editor um, and he'd also helped him uh, with the ending of Raging Bull. The ending of Raging Bull, originally the way that I think uh, Jake LaMotta had it, and then even in the original script, was uh, him reciting Shakespeare at the end. And Michael Powell, also probably who's British, he's just like, no, it's like, it shouldn't be Shakespeare. Like, it should be, like, on the waterfront. You know, I don't know how, like, but he was the one who, like, was like, okay, you need him to you know, to be doing the, like, I could have been a contender mm. scene from, um, mm. you know, from On the Waterfront. I could have been somebody, yeah. Exactly. So, and that was the perfect ending for that movie. And then he also was like, no, he needs to end up back at work. That's and, so uh, great. And it's the perfect ending for this movie. Wow, Michael Powell for the win. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ideas that I thought was hilarious for the ending, which would have been, like, so insane to see was... Um, 
One idea that made it into the storyboard stage was Paul crawling into June's womb to hide from the angry mom, a mob with June giving birth to him on the West Side Highway. That's so great. It's like I love that as well. I, it's like <laughs> like can we have two endings? <laughs> yes. Well, there like it's funny. Uh, and the thing I was listening to the original cut of this film. Um, you know, he said like you know it was almost three hours long. It was really really long, and they had to cut a lot out because he said it just didn't the really comedy work. They had to tighten it all up because they had to keep that momentum. Yeah. It, apparently, there were a lot of really great scenes they loved that just wouldn't make it. And I'm hoping that when Criterion does this, that hope you know hopefully some of that might have survived. Um, cause I would love to see it even though, I mean, I totally understand. Kind of like David Lynch's you know, missing pieces out. or whatever. Exactly. Like I would watch all of that, even if it was like really just like rough ends. Um, whatever. Yeah. I, I'm down to watch that too with you. But, the, mm. I think, yeah, I'm glad they tightened it up because this movie needs to like, pop, pop, but like, he's just like constantly, yeah. he never gets comfortable. Like there's not one moment where he's like, ah, like, and you need to, and you need to feel that as a. As a viewer, you need to be like, oh, yeah. you need to have that ring around the collar by the time the movie's over, just like he does. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I am fucking over this. This is fucking. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's both like, it's almost like a cup of coffee. Like you drink it and you're just like, uh, but it's also so draining. Like by the time the movie's over, you're like, damn, like you're like as wiped out as he is. Oh, yeah. It's, it's great. It's, uh. Man, it's I, so good. There's so many things. Like, there's so many little details in this movie that like pay off in crazy ways, and the way that everything kind of ties together. Um, I don't know. I, I think this movie. It's. I mean, I, it's been known as an underrated Scorsese movie since for thirty some years, but I know that it has such a strong cult following that it almost it's hard to call it underrated at this point because I feel like enough people. Um, or people who've seen it care about it. It obviously is, you know, make it into those huge lists, you know, that like Raging Bull and Taxi Driver would. But um, for me, this is, uh, you know, Scorsese, you know, doing something really exciting and fresh. And that's, yeah. I mean, that was the thing with Something Wild, um, you know, again, where it was another director who, you know, kind of was having a rough patch and wasn't sure where his career was going to go. And Scorsese was having that too, like Last Temptation temporarily at least for the time had fallen apart after being in production for multiple years and you know he's described this as him going back to school to learn how to make films to learn how to do films in a different way um because you know he'd had these been making these big movies and they weren't making money they weren't um they weren't performing um even though you look back and you see a lot of those movies are just like incredible like king of comedy you're like how did what yeah yeah what the fuck this is amazing um yeah, I've said this previously on a podcast before, but if you enjoy this kind of movie, uh, it's a little bit darker. But 2017, there's a great movie. It's available for free on Amazon Prime called Good Time with Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. That reminds me a whole lot of this movie. And in fact, I know that they they had to be like, um, I don't know, uh, bit, oh, yeah. bitten by the bug to make this movie because of that. This is... I can never say their last name. This Getting into a series of movies of just like long nights. Long nights. The the Softy Brothers. The, I know they're going to be yeah, household. Softy Brothers. Yeah, they're going to yeah. be uh, household names sooner than labor because I know they're doing the reboot of uh, Forty Eight Hours, which I would be like, oh, interesting. Yeah, I'd be like, what? No, why? But with them, I'm like, okay, I'm all about it because they are. Yeah. 
pretty controversial anyway, so it'll be interesting to see, like, if you ever want to rewatch 48 Hours, which I did, like, a couple months ago, woo-wee, does that, like, in 2019, that's that's triggering to a lot of people. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, everything's triggering to people yeah. these days. But just Nick Nolte and his, like, pure Nick Nolte, like, that's just Nick Nolte being drunk and racist for an hour and a half. But uh, yeah. Eddie Murphy just giving it right back to him. So, I don't know. It's a good yeah. little beep-bop-boop. It's, it's, it's still a classic. I love it so much more than Beverly Hills Cop. The people that like Beverly Hills Cop more are stupid. Um, yeah. 48 Hours, that's worth it. Walter Hill is just great. Mm-hmm. Yes. Generally. In general. Uh, and we're out of here. But we'll be yeah, back uh, with a bonus. We're not done yet with these yuppie nightmares. There's just one more that we got to do. And we yeah. we both came to the decision together. I texted you like it was funny because I was I think it's a movie that so far neither of us have watched yet. Still haven't but, seen it. Um, it. It kept like kind of popping up in the periphery, and I even thought about that. I'm like, oh, maybe we could do this as a bonus, or you can do this as a Patreon. And then when you hit me up the other day, um, and then I was like, that's so crazy, it's so perfect. So yes, yeah. So we're we're gonna be uh, we're gonna take it to the other side of America. And what are the the yuppies in L.A. in the '80s? What, what's their know, deal? Right? We're about to find out. We don't even know. So hopefully it's a good movie. If it sucks, then eh, it sucks. But we know it's got a good cast. But until then, let's keep it purely casual. Yep. Bye.